This is so cool. Hey, I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for coming today. And I know you could be a lot of other places, and thanks for being here. And uh, I am Neil Jeffrey. I always kind of feel obligated to warn. I, I am a stutterer. Uh, all that means is I stutter. And I will. I have. I, I don't do it as well as I used to do it. As, as a kid, God's grace, God has done a wonderful thing in my life. And I'm still amazed that I'm, I'm even up here talking to a bunch of people. And I'm honored to get to preach in this great church, in this great place here. And, to, and I'm looking forward to it. So just, I mean, I, I always think, you know, I got to, uh, I know I'm going to stutter, so I got to deal with that. And I hate to say, but uh, 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 you're going to have to deal with it also. And I, <laughs> I hate that. I apologize. But anyway. Luke chapter 15 is where we are. Luke chapter 15. We're in a series on the parables of our Lord Jesus, and this is, this is a great one. This is Luke 15 is, is the classic passage uh, of, of the parable of the prodigal son. And, of course, I've, I've, I mean, I've been in church all my life. I've heard that phrase, parable of the prodigal son, 10,000 times. I've heard it taught, preached, and uh, it's just a lot of great... Um, messages, and, 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 and there's actually three parables in chapter 15, and all, all three deal with something lost, and this whole passage is, is about something lost being found, which is, uh, and, and it, this is fascinating, Jesus is the one who's saying this, so uh, it, 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 it uh, I mean, it, 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 and, and he's saying all of this to tell them back then, and to tell us what God is like, and that God's greatest joy in, 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 in anything, everything is, is finding that which is lost and restoring it, and it brings him great joy. In fact, the, uh, what I want us to see today and, and, and what I hope comes through today is just ha how God, so you'll know how God sees you. Uh, uh, no, more than that how God feels about you. And you'll know this, how God has decided to relate to you. Now, that's huge. Now, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's how I feel God feels about me and how God has chosen to deal with me. And, and uh, uh, what we're going to see is God, how he feels about you, he loves you, because you've heard that 10,000 times. Annie just said that a couple times a few moments ago. He loves you. But more than that is this idea, this thought. Not just that God loves you, God enjoys you. God delights in you. Now, that's, that's an awesome thought. God, when he thinks of you, is filled with joy because God is a God of joy. You ask people what God's like. Most people don't say a God's a God of joy. But he is a God of joy. Now, obviously, he's got a righteousness and holiness and all those other things, but he's joy too. He's full of joy. And when he thinks about you, there is joy in his heart. He delights in you and he enjoys you. Always has, always will. That's what we're going to see in this passage of Scripture. Actually, I was reading someplace. I got this. Rick Warren, who wrote that book, A Purpose Driven Life. Remember that? One of the great uh, uh, bestsellers of all time. He writes this about this, about, about God finds pleasure. He says, you were planned for God's pleasure. 
The moment you were born into the world, God was there as an unseen witness smiling at your birth. Now, that's an awesome thought. He wanted you alive. That's why you're here. And your arrival gave him great pleasure. God didn't need to create you. He chose to create you for his enjoyment. You exist for his benefit, his glory, his purpose, and his delight. Now, that's a great thought. Just so you, uh, Now, I can see some of you who don't believe this. Or maybe you don't feel this is true, but it is. In fact, a bunch of verses just kind of say that, that little delight part. Psalm 16.3, listen to this. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, the Bible says, speaking about us, in whom is all my delight. He loves us. We're precious. Proverbs 8.31, rejoices in his inhabited word and delighting. He delights in the children of men. He delights in us. Deuteronomy 30 verse 9, for the Lord will again take delight in prospering you just as he took delight in your fathers. He delights in us. And then Zephaniah 3.17. Zephaniah 3.17. I love saying Zephaniah. I love saying that. <laughs> the Lord your God is in your midst, the Bible says. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Is that a great phrase? He will, uh, he will quiet you by his love. He will exalt, exalt over you with singing. Isaiah 62.4 says, the Lord delights in you. And then Hebrews 1.9, this is an amazing thought. Hebrews 1 is all about God manifesting himself in Jesus Christ. He has this phrase about, about Jesus. That Jesus was anointed, Hebrews 1.9 says, with the oil of gladness. Now think about that. All that just simply said, God loves us, he enjoys us. He loves you, he enjoys you. He takes great delight in you, great pleasure, and great joy in finding things that are lost. That's what all three of these little stories are going to be about, finding something that is lost and celebrating when they are found, when the lost is found, and when they are restored. He loves us. He loves you. And, and a good, a good uh, thought about this, and we're going to get this in the second point in just a minute. This thought, this idea. How do you think God feels about you when you just sinned? When you just disobeyed him? When you just stepped away from him? Well, you know what? Jesus is going to answer that question in these three little stories. In, 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 the, in the third story, in the parable of the uh, lost son. So uh, we're going to get there in just a minute. That's fascinating. That's glorious. I want you to know that's glorious. There's joy all in this story of something lost being found. Okay, let me read this. Uh, Luke 15, we're going to start in verse 1. Uh, actually, our text is just the uh, third story about the prodigal son. We're going to start in verse 1. And, and, and really, uh, I shouldn't read as much as I'm going to read because as a stutterer, it, I, 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 I could mess up all my time. I'm, I'm, I'm allowed to do it. But I just don't think, hey, all of this is so, so incredible to understand how God feels about us and how he relates to us. Because that, that is awesome, even when we're in the far country, as we're going to see. So here we go. Verse 1, he says. Now, the tax collectors, and now, before I get there, you remember the story of the prodigal son, you remember? There are two, uh, it's going to say this in verse 7, uh, the father has two sons, right? One who's a prodigal, he goes away, and the other who stays home. 
But uh, each of them are going to be lost at the end, we're going to see. One, by rebellion. The other one is religious, but his heart is far from God. Two different people. Well, verse 1 is kind of fascinating because it says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear them. That's the rebellious crowd, those who've rebelled against God. But there's also, there's the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Two categories of people, tax collectors and sinners, those who rejected God and, 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 and run away from him, and the Pharisees and scribes who are religious, who do the religious thing, their heart is just far from God. They are not really worshiping God. Two fascinating people. Now, keep in mind, Jesus is telling all these stories to them. And his point is, he wants to tell them who God is and how God feels about them and how God has chosen to relate to them. And it is, it is uh, glorious. And you know what? He's going to shock them. He's going to shock them how God feels about the uh, son when he's in the far uh, country. He's going to shock them totally and completely. Because grace, true grace, shocks. It's amazing. It's incredible. And uh, uh, just how God feels about you, he enjoys you. How God has chosen to relate to you, he's chosen to relate to you with grace. So here's what he says. Here's the first story. He's explained what God's like. First story is this. Now, most scholars believe this is three parts of the same parable, all about something lost being found. Here's what it says. So uh, he, told them, he, he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the open country and go after the one who's lost until he finds it? The one. It's always about the one in, in, in this whole parable. That's how God is concerned about the one. Hey, you're here in the midst of a crowd. God's concerned about you. Just the one. He says there's the one. He goes after the one until he finds it. And when he has found it, listen to this, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. There's the joy. There's all that because what loss has been found. And when he comes home, he calls all of his friends and neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me. He gets everybody around him. For I have found my sheep, that which was lost. That's what's lost that has been found. Rejoice, there's joy. Just so I tell you, and this is Jesus saying this, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner. Now, obviously, there's joy in heaven when 10,000 respond to him. But his point is, it isn't the 10,000, it's the one. It's the one who makes up the 10,000. There's, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need uh, no uh, repentance. A man he lost his sheep, he's going to find the sheep. Finally, he rejoices. Second story is this, the lost coin. Uh, or what woman? Having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. It's lost. we got to find this. And when she found it, she calls together friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me. She's rejoicing and she wants all of her friends and neighbors. Let's all rejoice as well. Uh, as well. Why? Because that which is lost has now been found. For I found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you. I get gin. Jesus makes this point, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It's all about the one. And then fascinating, it's the one, right? It's all about the one. And he's saying, surely, as he said in the first story, if a man goes after a sheep, if a woman goes after a lost coin, surely God would go after a lost soul. And yes, he will. 
And, and this is how all this kind of plays out as well. In fact, in heaven, all these say, and, and I wanted to share this, all this says about the joy in heaven when one is received. You know what? This is incredible. Every time a soul is saved, every time a sinner is rescued, every time someone's lost is found, every time that happens, all of heaven erupts in joy. Can you imagine that? Now think about this. There's nonstop joy in heaven because every moment of, just this thought, there's nonstop joy in heaven because every moment, of, uh, every moment of every day, a sinner somewhere in this world is being saved, is being redeemed. He has been lost, he's being found. And heaven is constantly, always in a state of joy. Is that glorious? That, that's our God. That's heaven. That's the story about this lost son who is lost. He delights in you. And you know what the fact is? And this is the ultimate point. He delights in you. Now, when you were standing up a moment ago, I'm sorry. Uh, when you were standing up worshiping, he delighted in you. But hey, what you're going to realize, even in your weakness, God delights in you. Even in your struggle, even in your sin, he delights you. Now you say, how do you know that? Well, because this boy, this son, is going to be in the foreign country, and God is still going to love him, rejoice in him, and looking for him to return. That's the point. This all of heaven always rejoice. God delights in us. So, you know, just, just another thought about that. John 17, 23, listen to this. this I, I discovered this. This is amazing. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says this. This is just an affirmation of this. Just before the crucifixion, just before his disciples deny him, and uh, run away. Jesus says, hey, John 17, 23, I in them, he's praying for them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and that you love them as much as you loved me. You know what he's saying? Jesus is saying, hey, guys, my God, our Father loves you as much as he loves me. How does he love Jesus? Perfectly, completely, totally. There's a oneness there. Well, how does he love these guys? Perfectly, completely, totally. And these guys are immature, have not arrived yet. These guys are still frail. These guys still don't understand what's going on. And just a few hours later, you know what these guys are going to do? These guys are going to fail they're going to run away. They're going to have their fears dominate them. They're not going to trust the Lord, and they're going to blow it. But that does not change the fact that God loves them. As much as he loves Jesus, he values them. So this is the story of our story. Three points in the story we're going to get to. Uh, a choice is made for a country, then the way back home. Uh, a choice is made for, here's the choice, verse 11. And, this, and I'm finally there. All that was introduction. And Jesus said, verse 11, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger son of them said to him, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Choices are made. You know what? Everybody can make a choice. This boy can make a choice. This son can do whatever he wants to do. And what he decides to do, he decides, I want to do my own thing. Dad, now he's the younger son. He didn't have a right to this inheritance. The older son has the right to all the inheritance. He didn't have this right. And if it's a Jewish son, this would shock everybody. Everybody who's listening to Jesus tell the story because oh, you didn't do this kind of, this is outrageous, an outrageous choice because obviously it's a shameful request he's making. It's sinful request he's making. It's selfish. It's shocking because he's dishonoring his dad. 
He's dishonoring his family, dishonoring his, 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 his faith. Basically, he's rejecting the father. He's saying, I don't want you in my life. I want you in my own thing. He resents him. He despises the dad. He rejects the dad. I don't want any restraints. I don't want any rules. I don't want any regulations. I, I, do want, I want to do my own thing. He said, hey, give me what's mine because I want to get out. I want to do my own thing. He basically said, dad, essentially because he wouldn't get the inheritance Ultimately, unless his dad died, because that's the point. But he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me what's mine, because I'm gone. He basically I want to do my own thing. Now, obviously, we can do whatever you want to do. You can do whatever you can do. You can do any, make any decision you want to make, because God allows us to do that. But he makes a decision, and he, he, he basically says, I don't want God in my life. You know what? Where we are today as a society, as a world, that's exactly what the world says as well. The world said, we don't want God in our life. We don't want him in our schools. We don't want him in our courtrooms. We don't want him in our, our government. In our, uh, uh, we don't want the restricted lifestyle and all this righteousness stuff and Bible stuff. We want God gone. We don't want to be a part. We want God out of this thing. Now, it's amazing the world says that, but the, still, the, the world still wants the blessings of God still wants the healing of God when they pray for healing and the protection of God. We just don't want God is what everybody says. You know what this boy, he didn't want his dad, but the only way he can get what he wants, he has to have a dad who is gracious and good and godly and has abundance more than enough to give. And he does. It's just a, a tragic period. But uh, I, 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 he makes that choice. And you know what? You can make any choice you want to make. But you know what? So can God. God can choose to do whatever he wants. And this father, he can do whatever he wants to do. He could have punished the boy. He could have, he could have beat, he could have done anything. But you know what the, uh, the, the father decided to do? And this father represents Jesus, uh, uh, represents God the father as Jesus is telling this story. He says, I'm going to love this boy. And you know what? I'm going to give him what he wants. So the father chooses, as it says in he divided his property into verse 12. Uh, between, he gives them what, what they, he asked for. And he said, I'm going to love this boy. Love him enough to give him what he asked for. And he wants to go away. He didn't want to love him. He, 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 he can do whatever he wants to do. He's going to go. Now, I don't understand that gift that God has blessed us with, which is the gift of free will. And you can do whatever you want to do, but all that is wrapped up. Somehow, some way, in God's plan, God's purpose, God's sovereignty, but ultimately it's God loves you and lets you decide and do whatever you want to do. And that's exactly what this father says. He loved this son enough. In fact, what's amazing, this dad, obviously, as the father created this son, he loved this son. He had blessed this son his whole life. He had more than he ever uh, needed, uh, really, his whole life. This dad loved him, but and he loved him enough to let him go, but he also knew, hey, son, this is not going to end well. But he loved him. Here's the point. Our father can choose to do whatever he wants to do toward us. And you know what he's chosen to do? He's chosen to love you. Even if you reject him, say, God, I don't want you in my life. I don't want your rules. I want this Bible thing. I don't want any part of this. does not change the fact that God loves you. That God values you. You're precious to him. You know, God could deal with us any way he wanted to. He could, he could deal with us in, in uh, injustice, which simply means we get what we deserve. Well, when we sin, we deserve death because the wages of sin is death. He could say, hey, uh, uh, 
Are you saying you're out of here? Or he could, he could deal with us in, in mercy. Justice is we get what we do deserve. Mercy is we don't get all that we deserve. Grace is we get what we do not deserve. He gives us love even though we didn't deserve it. God has decided, hey, I'm going to love this son. I'm never going to stop loving this son. I'm going to be looking for him. And we know that because of how the story ends. I'm going to be looking for his return. I'm going to be hopeful. I'm going to keep uh, 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 available to him. And I am going to deal with this boy in grace. That's the choices. God, you know, it's also about choices. Um, I, I just, I'm not exactly sure how to say this. Uh, you know, humans, people, uh, some people, are just always mad at God because they, you know, God said this, or God had done this, or this is what the Bible says, and so forth. And, and they're mad because God did what he wanted to do, does what he wants to do. And yet humans have this thing, I have a right to do what I want to do whatever I want to do. And, and nobody can tell me what I should or shouldn't do. Humans think I have that right, but they don't let God have that right. God has God to do whatever he wants to do. And praise God, he decided, hey, I'm not going to punish them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to forgive them. So that's the choices made. And then second is the far country. Is what happens when the boy, this is what happened with the boy. Look at verse 12, uh, 13. He said, not many days later, his youngest son, he gathered all that he had, all the things he had come, took a journey into the far country. And there he squandered his property, everything he had. He wasted it in um, uh, uh, reckless living. And when he had spent everything, he had spent everything, and now he's spent. He's empty. He's got nothing. A severe famine arose in, in that country. Another thing that just... And, and, and uh, he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to be um, uh, into the field to feed pigs. He's feeding pigs. And he has so little, he has nothing. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. He had nothing else. He longs to have what these pigs are eating. And no one gave him anything. He ends up, because of his choice, he ends up in a bad place. Reckless living always leads. It, it, what this boy founds out is life in the far country, life away from God, life doing my own thing is not exactly what I expected. Sin is always that way. The money runs out. His friends left him. Famine occurs. He's forced to do what he'd never done before, which is go to work. He's in a pigsty, and he's just, all of this just shows it's Jesus' way of showing uh, this boy, if he's a Jewish boy, it's the worst of the worst of the worst. But it, but it just, it doesn't matter exactly what happened to this boy. Jesus' point is, this son is in a situation now. It's the worst of the worst. You can't get any worse, any farther from God, any more sinful, more shameful. More, you, this is his picture of the worst. That's where this boy, he's in a bad place. But you know, reckless living, prodigal uh, living just ends up that way. It's a bad place. And... It's just this uh, sin always promises freedom. But it always brings slavery, bondage. 
Sin promises success. It always brings failure. Sin promises life, but the wages of sin is death. This, this boy thought he was going to find himself in this place. He actually loses himself. When God is left out of a life, enjoyment becomes enslavement. It was exactly what happened to this boy. And he is just in a bad place. You can't get any worse than this, any more hopeless, any more desperate. That is where the boy is. That's the result of his choice. He's in the far country, far away from God. Well, where is God in this? What is the, that's what happened to the, boy, the son. What happened uh, to God in this? Where is God? What does the father do in all of this? Same thing. Still loving the boy. Always loving. Always watching. Always looking. And we know that because how he responds at the end of this thing. Always wanting the very best. It doesn't change. Love never changes. That's why the steadfast, that, uh, uh, the Bible says this in the Psalms, in the Old Testament so many times, the steadfast love of, of the Lord never changes. It's from everlasting to everlasting. It's always the same. And, uh, and, and he loves this boy even in the far country, even in the pigsty. Uh, Ephesians 2, 4, 5, and 6. Listen to what the Bible says in Ephesians. This is fascinating. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Those are great phrases. Rich in mercy toward us, which is great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses. Did you get that? He loves us. Rich in mercy. Great is his love toward us even when we're in the far country. Even when we're uh, 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 away from him. Even when we will acknowledge him. We don't obey him at all. Even in that state, he has great mercy toward us, and he's made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Romans 5, verse 6, Romans 5, 8, uh, 5, 10, all remind us how he loves us as sinners. Verse 6 says, for while we were still weak, unable to do anything, it said at the right time, Christ died for us, for the ungodly. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And verse 10, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now being reconciled, we are saved by his life. He loves us in that fork and nothing has changed. What's amazing is how God feels about this boy when he has sinned, he loves him. That's, as I said earlier, an amazing question. How does God feel about you when you've just sinned? You ask most uh, people, that, that question actually had a conversation uh, this last week with a guy uh, about that question. Well, and he said, as, as most of us say, and I felt the same thing. Hey, how does God feel about you after you just sinned? And they say, well, uh, I think he's mad at me. He's, he's angry. I disobeyed him, all this stuff. He, he's mad. But someone else might say, well, he may not be mad. He, he might be sad at me. Disappointed, man, you've blown it again. Who you are, you can't get the same thing, you can't get over this deal. He's just disappointed. He's either sad or mad, mostly mad, mostly sad. You know, that's not our God. You know what God is? God is glad. I don't understand all this, but, but, but this boy is in the far, but God, the Father still loves him, still is valuing him. He never, his love is unconditional. Hey, he didn't love you anymore if you're in the pigsty or you're back home. He loves you just like you are. Now, that's amazing love. That's grace. We don't deserve that. God gives that. And when we realize, even at my worst, God still cherishes me. He still values me. He still 
enjoys me. He still delights in me. If I truly believe that about God, you know when I sin, if I believe that about my God, I'm not going to run away from him. I'm going to run to him. It changes how you live your life. It changes everything. That's our God. Our God does not change. He, actually, when we're away from that's why God sent Jesus to this earth to live the life, perfect life, down on a cross for our sin, uh, be buried, rise again to give us eternal life through faith in him because sins have been paid for through what Jesus did. He loves us just like we are. Uh, just uh, what the boy doing, he, he's suffering there. What God is doing, he loves that boy. He loves you. I do the third thing, the way back home. What happens here, and this changes everything, verse 17, one of the great verses of all the Bible, but, but, the Greek word, but, is a fascinating word. Actually, the Greeks had three Greek words, which we can translate, but. Uh, and my mom, me say this, she'd slap me because we weren't allowed to say but. <laughs> but this is the word, which means something happens before this, this is the total opposite. Everything changes on what is coming next. All this stuff happened before he's in a bad place, all this thing, but he says. Here's the result that when he came to himself, he's about to confess his sin. He's about to confess Jesus Christ. He's about to come back to all these things. But he comes to himself. He realizes something. You know what he, he sees things totally differently. You know what he sees? He, hey, uh, he sees this. Where he is, he realizes he's not in a good place. Actually, he realizes he's in the bad place. Actually, he realizes I'm in the worst place. I never imagined I'm as bad as I am. I got nothing. I got nobody. There's no way home. There's no hope. There's nothing. He's in a bad place. You know, I counsel men all the time, all the time. I've had someone in my office, and they're telling me the story, and, they're in a, and, and, and I say, hey, wouldn't you say you're in a bad place? And he said, yeah, oh, there's no question I am. Well, we got there in that bad place because we made bad choices. Bad choices always lead to a bad place. And help the guy realize, hey, if we change our choice, if we make a better decision, if we make a godly decision, it's going to change everything in this thing. Well, this boy finally realized, hey, he's in a bad place. And he realized, hey, his friends, who he thought were friends, all of his friends, they're gone. All of a sudden, he sees his friends in a totally different light. They're not what they say they are. And he sees the whole scene, this whole party scene, what he thought the far country was going to be. It looked hot. It looked so cool. Everybody's there had all this, and it's going to be awesome. And now he realizes how empty that is, how lost that is. And he realized, his whole life, he realizes, he's come to himself. He sees his whole life, it, it, it's a total mess. But also, you know what he also realizes? He sees what he's never seen before. He sees the goodness of his father. Look how he says this. He sees all this stuff. I, he came to himself. Oh, he, he says this. How many, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? He remembers how good his dad is, his father is. And he says, hey, my dad just didn't have enough. My father has more than enough. And he realized how good his dad is. And, and he realized all those buddies who said bad things about the father. And that whole scene was just denied that. He realizes, you know what? The only thing that's real, that's true, that's valuable in my life is my, is my father. is my home. is what I had before. You know, 
the bottom line, a man and woman comes to their senses when they realize the only way I get the way, the truth, and the life is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. And they used to laugh at all the Christian stuff. Now they realize that's hope. That's new life. All of a sudden, he realizes things. So here's what he does. He makes a plan, and then he's going to plan a speech he's going to say. Here's, here's his plan. He makes a plan. Here's the plan. He, he decides. Verse 18, I'm going to rise and go to my father, and I'm going to say, I'm going back to my dad. That's part of repentance. I'm turning around. I'm going the other way. Hey, I, I'm, 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 I'm turning this thing around. His plan is, I'm going back, and then he plans his speech. And this is fascinating, his speech. Verse, verse uh, um, uh, 18 and 19. This is fascinating. He has three points in this speech because every good speech has three points. <laughs> he says this. Uh, I will rise and go to my father. This is what I'm going to say. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. That's his first thing. Lord, I've, uh, uh, Father, I've sinned. Here's the second thing he's going to say. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'm not worthy, he said. That's the second thing. Third thing he says, um, uh, treat me as one of your hired servants. Hire me. Uh, let me earn this thing back. He says three things. One, he says, uh, Father, I've sinned against you and, and before heaven. Now, that's a great statement. Actually, if he's going to be everything God wants him to be, he's got to make that statement. He's got to confess his sin. And that's what he does. He says, I'm a sinner. I have blown this. He's not blaming someone else. He's not saying it's this. It's my circumstance. He's looking at himself. He says, I have sinned. That changes everything and everything. It doesn't matter where you are, what you've been through, what your pigsty is like. It doesn't matter. God doesn't care about what we have done as much as what we do next. And if we come to that point, I'm going to confess my sin and repent and ask Jesus in my life. That's where he be. He said, Lord, I have sinned. That's a great statement. The second statement is also great. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Obviously, none of us are worthy to be called the Son of God. Because God's grace, as we're going to see, makes us that, and we are that. But he said, I'm not worthy. That's a great statement, too. Father, I've sinned. I'm not worthy of, of anything. His third statement is, hire me. Let me work. I have blown it. I, I've failed. I've blown it. I, I don't deserve to be in getting all the stuff I had before with you. Let me earn it back. Let me work for all this stuff so maybe after years and years of sir, I can pay. You know what? Most people think the only way you get back to God, you got to work for it. you got to earn it. Uh, you can't earn it. We don't deserve it. And what the devil wants us to think, is, i got to earn my salvation. i got to earn my way. I've gone so low. I've gone so far away. There's no way back. i got to earn this thing. And what's amazing about those three points, what's fascinating about this He's going to say his first two points to the father when he gets there. But the father is not going to let him say the third thing because God has decided I'm not going to relate to you based on your works. It's going to be grace. I'm going to give you what you do not deserve. So before he gets to that third point, he's going to say his first two. The father's going to stop him. He's going to interrupt. Here's what happened. Uh, 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 he goes back <laughs> to the father. And this is what the father does. Now, this is unbelievable. Uh, I've only got a couple of minutes left. And this is the main part of the story. You've got to stay with me. This is what the father does. And what the father does with this boy who rejected him, who went in the far country, who is a mess of his life, he, he was with pigs. His whole life stinks. He probably stinks. He's probably not even cleaned up. He's nothing but... He decides, I am going to go back. And so, 
verse 20, he arose and comes to his father. He's on the way back. But look at the five things the father does. Hey, how does he feel about you? We're going to see right now how God feels about you and how God feels and treats this boy. Because here's what he Look at this. He says this, verse 20. But while he was a long way away, uh, you know a long way away, far away? I, I, th I thought this was interesting. Where is the boy? He's in the far country. The father saw him when he was far away. God always knows where you are, loves you, watching you, wants you to come home. Sees him a long way off. The father saw him, that's one. Felt compassion for him, that's two. Ran to him, that's three. Embraced him, hugged him, that's four. And he kissed him. Now, uh, uh, he, he is going back, but he's not sure what the responses are going to be. He didn't know if he, Dad's going to be mad, sad. He didn't know if he's going to be cold, not tender, not loving. He didn't know if he's going to be there. He's going to be in the back room. He's not going to be looking for it. He didn't know what he's going to do. He just knows only hope I have is to go back. He comes back, and the shocking thing about this is what this father does. Because the Jewish leaders think, no, a Jewish father would do this. He would punish the boy. Nobody would take this boy back. But see, grace does what no... There's not a category for grace. These Jewish leaders had never heard anything, seen anything about grace. These sinners and tax leaders didn't know anything about grace. What Jesus Christ brought to us, he came in grace and truth. It's the grace of him. Because this boy comes in and his father sees him. He was looking. He was always looking. He was not looking. He loved this boy. He sees him. And so anticipation, I was expecting to come back. He feels compassion. He loved this boy. He always loved this boy. He never did not love this boy because love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Love dominates this thing. Grace wins. And he runs. He takes initiative. Old men in the Middle East back then never ran. And in this situation, Jews would say, hey, boy has to run to the dad. The dad never runs to the boy. This doesn't happen. But he shocked the world because the father who represents God is running to this boy just now, the boy has no idea what's going to happen. He's thinking, how does he feel about me? What's going to happen? My dad's running to me. But what he does, he gets there. He embraces him. Imagine what the boy feels. You mean, he loves me? And then more than that, think about this, he kisses him. And the word in the original language does, he just doesn't kiss him. It's, it actually means he kisses much. That means he smothers the boy with kisses. Hey, how does God feel about this boy? Eyes are on him. Felt compassion toward him. And this runs to him. He runs to you. All of this describes this boy, but there's not really a boy in the story because this is a parable. The, 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 the person in the story is you. God loves you. Always looking at you. Never does not love you. And you take a step to him. He runs to you. It doesn't matter what your condition is, what you say. Hey, you can smell like a pigsty as this boy does not change the fact he's going to run to you. He's going to grab you in that hug. And he's going to smother you with kisses. You know what? No other religion has a God with a tender heart like this. This is our God. This is Jesus. This is who he is. And that's how he feels. And... So the boy says this real quick. i got to hurry. He says, uh, and verse 21, he starts his speech. Now, first, he realizes, this is how he feels about me. But how is he going to relate to me? What's going to happen? Next, I mean, i got to live. What's going to happen? Is he going to take me back or even hire me or not? What's going to happen? He starts in his speech. 
Um, at verse 21. And they said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. It's a great line. I'm not longer worthy to be called your son. That's true. But you see, he never even got to say the third thing. Because God's not going to let him say that. Because that's not the truth. You don't have to earn this thing. And then what he does, he shows, he shows by what he does next exactly how God relates to us as human beings. Good look what he did. He did four things here. He says, bring the best robe. Quickly, he says. Don't wait. Bring the best robe and put it on him. The best. But this speaks of honor. It speaks of place, especially. It's the ultimate of the ultimate. It's the best. Bring the best robe. Put it on him. And... I put a ring on his hand. The ring was the authority of the father. It represents everything the authority had. It's wrapped up in that ring. That's the way it was back in the day. The ring meant everything. He said, put my ring, that ring on him. And he says, put shoes on his feet. Slaves and servants didn't have shoes back in the day. Only the son, the family wore shoes. He said, you put shoes on him because he's now he's my son. And... Uh, Bring the fatty calf, verse 20, and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Why? Because my son was dead, is alive again. He's lost and found. They're going to celebrate. Here's what happened. This boy comes back. He realized, hey, maybe he loves me. He values me. I'm precious because he hugged me. He kissed me, all that stuff. But how are you going to relate? This boy is expecting the worst. He gets the best. He gets the best robe that they have. Well, it means honor. I mean, he didn't Live honorably, but he gets honor. He, he gets to be a person of honor. Why? That's grace. He doesn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. We deserve the worst. God gives us the best. And then he, he's expecting nothing. I just need to be a servant. And if not a servant, a slave, anything. But I don't deserve anything. He's expecting nothing. He gets everything. He gets the ring. Everything the ring represents, he gets the authority of the Father. He gets the blessings of the Father. All the riches and glory are his now. He doesn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. We get it. And he says, put shoes on his feet. He's expecting all I can do is hope to be a slave. He says, no, you're going to be a son. And then he's expecting punishment. He's getting a party. He's expecting a funeral. He's getting a feast. God is giving him, you know, I, I, was, I was thinking earlier this morning, I did Psalms 103, verse 10, this wasn't even in my notes of the message, but God deals with us. God does not, de- uh, Psalms 103, verse 10, does not deal with us according to our sins. Is that glorious? He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. You know why he didn't pay us for those things? He put the punishment on Jesus. So we don't have to, have to suffer because Jesus did for us. That's what's glorious about grace. Uh, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love. Verse 17, the steadfast love of the Lord is, is never changing. It's from everlasting to everlasting. He got everything. You know, the bottom line, the greatest thing in the world is the joy of the Lord. And the greatest thing in the world is, is when a sinner comes home to experience that joy. And what brings God that most ultimate delight in us is when we respond to the truth of who he is. He loves us. He enjoys us. He delights in us. I want to love, enjoy, and delight in him as well. Nothing. 
There's one more deal, and, and we got to stop. The elder brother, he's there. And, 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 and I just want you to see this. Of course, this is a whole message. He didn't even know his brother came back. He didn't even know it. That's 15, 15, um, uh, 26. What do all these things mean, this party and everything? He didn't even know it. And he was mad because it happened. Verse 20, he's angry, refused to go in. He's now rejoicing. Here's the point I want you to see about this. Everybody, everybody in this whole story is rejoicing. Everybody is. All the friends, the ones who got lost are rejoicing. All the ones who found the ones who got lost, they're rejoicing. They had all the friends and family, they're rejoicing. All of heaven's rejoicing. The, the whole story, everybody's rejoicing. Everybody has the joy of the Lord except the elder brother. Because his heart is far from the heart of the Father. Because the heart of the Father is, fall, is for that which is lost. That's why the Father tells the elder, elder the brother, hey, we're going to celebrate because that which is lost is found. That's what I thought was dead is alive. And we're going to celebrate. The bottom line is, the bottom line of this, everyone else is rejoicing, but if you can't rejoice with the one who, when a sinner repents and turns to the Father, you alone are the one who's unhappy, and you alone are the prodigal. Well, let's pray. I guess the message this is, is a God who loves you, who enjoys you, who delights in you, and he's seeking you. It doesn't matter who you are, you can never trust Jesus as your Savior, and be doing your own thing, and always have, and yet maybe this morning the Spirit of God has spoken to you, and you need to come to your senses and realize some things, you know what? I'm coming home to the Father. I'm coming to home to God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. And I want to accept Him as my Savior. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song. And our ministers are going to be up here at the front. And I want you to come forward, the one, whoever it is. Man, there's several thousand here uh, uh, this morning, but the one. It's all about the one. All having to the one. If you're that one, I want you to be that one and come forward and make your decision to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. If you're watching online, we have a bunch of people all over the world. It's about you as the one or wherever you are. And if you want to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, it's these who are going to come in just a moment and make a commitment to Christ. You can just click on your screen. There's a hand up or, or just how to respond. There's a way you can respond. You just respond. I text, it to, uh, I text Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, to 74788. And we'll respond to you and help you realize this incredible joy of knowing Jesus Christ. And maybe some Christians who, who just walked away from the Lord and you're doing whatever you're doing. Hey, you're coming back and not reason how much he loves you, how much he wants to restore you, how he wants to hug and kiss and love you. And then you're expecting the worst when you come back. He's going to give you the best because he's going to give you Jesus. He's going to give you forgiveness. He's going to cleanse you. He's going to use you. He's going to do a whole new thing in your life. Today, come back to the Father, to someone else in this room needs to join this church today. God's been dealing with you. When we stand and sing, won't you come and join this church? God bless these moments. I say what you need to say to all of us, every person in the room, and may we respond in faith and in obedience. God, help us to just come home. I pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you for joining us for worship at Prestonwood. As you heard earlier, if you made a decision for Christ, please text Jesus to 74788. We would love to connect with you and give you these great resources to help you grow in your faith. One is a New Believer's Bible with helpful notes to help you study God's Word. The other is a book by Pastor Jack Graham on the next steps to take as you pursue this new life in Christ. As we close, I'd like to thank you for your faithful giving to support Prestonwood and the work God is doing through our ministries. If you would like to give, text the word GIVE to 74788 or visit prestonwood.org give. It's been a joy worshiping with you, and we look forward to seeing you again soon.